Salt City. <clears throat> it is uh, good to be with you this morning and to be able to open God's Word. Just want to walk you through a little bit of uh, my journey these last few days. And so initially I felt like God was uh, asking me to continue the series through Ecclesiastes. And the passage seemed to be speaking into the situation that's going on in our city. And as I was trying to work on that, it's like it just wasn't working. And um, just in increasingly felt uh, the gut punch of the injustice and the brokenness uh, in our city. So it was actually at 1045 last night, I kind of scrapped the old message. And, and so here's my notes. This is a, a sheet of notebook paper right here. And um, really just comes uh, from me processing with the Lord what's going on. So maybe one of the most poignant moments for me this week was sitting around the dinner table trying to explain to my kids what's happening in our city. And so some of you know that two of my kids are African. And so was trying to explain the racism dynamic of the past of our country and was trying to explain what had happened uh, with the killing of George Floyd with police officers. And my kids are asking questions about why a police officer would do this. And then we were talking about the subsequent violence in our city. And at one point, uh, as our kids were asking these questions, we started talking specifically about race issues. And um, we've got a few books laying around our house. We've got a book uh, about Rosa Parks, and we've got a book about Jackie Robinson, and we started talking about just how uh, silly it is that people judge other people by the color of their skin. And so I started explaining to my kids that would be like me uh, saying that my daughter Hazel is better than my son Gabe because she has blue eyes and he has brown eyes. And uh, then we got into... Wouldn't it be silly if somebody thought my son Luke, who has brown skin, is better than me because I have white skin, or that I'm better than my daughter Emma because I have white skin and she has brown skin? And, and as I was talking about that, I, I just found myself being welling up with emotion. Um, and, and honestly, I, just, I feel like many of you do right now, like just a gut punch. And uh, there's so much uh, brokenness and injustice that has come to the surface in our city. And so, so as I was processing all that, as I'm scrapping this message, this passage of scripture uh, came to my mind uh, from Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And I think it's the call for us as God's people, e even as we're seeking to piece all this together and even understand the gravity of what's happening in our midst, I think this is God's call on us as a church. It says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So I think one of the things that's so evident to me right now is that 
The situation is so bad, it's beyond any human ability to fix. And so the context that this passage is written in, the, the temple has just been built by Solomon in Jerusalem. And God is saying, when things get really bad in, in Israel, when there's famine or when there's pestilence or when there's war, when, when things go totally bad, this is the playbook. This is what you do. You, you don't run in and immediately try to fix the situation because it's, it's going to be beyond fixing. Instead, you recognize this reality that we need God. And that's my encouragement to us is that we need God. Our city needs God. Our neighbors needs, need God. Our friends need God. Everyone needs God. And so there's three simple exhortations in this passage for us to express this need for God. The first one is that we would humble ourselves. If there's anything that comes uh, naturally to us as human beings, it's not humility. And it's easy for us to try to be figuring out who's wrong in this situation but forget to look at ourselves. And I think one of the things that we have to <clears throat> admit right now um, is that we're not God, is that we don't know exactly what to do. And we might have opinions about politics. We might have opinions about racial justice. We might have opinions about the riots, we might have opinions about the crime, but we have to just admit that we're not God, and we don't know how to fix what's broken, which is a really scary thing for us as Americans, because we're used to seeing problems and being able to find solutions. And many of us believe in this thing called American exceptionalism, which we've been told this story that we've been able to rise up from the dust and we've been able to make our nation great and we've been able to do this in our own strength and in our own effort. But when something like this happens, God has a different perspective and that's that we don't know what to do. We can't fix the situation. And so the first thing we have to do is to humble ourselves and to admit that reality. I, I don't know if you've ever uh, tried to go into a situation before that was way over your head and found out how inadequate you are to deal with it, but I, I run into that problem quite a bit because uh, I'm a largely incompetent person in many ways. And so one example I was thinking of was uh, for a number of years, I tried to fix cars, which when you're a largely incompetent person, that's a really bad idea. And so at one time I drove a 1999 Ford Taurus. And I remember uh, 
one time the windshield wipers broke. And so I got on, on YouTube and looked how to replace a windshield wiper motor. And I figured out that I thought I could do it. And so I got some tools and, and opened up the, the hood and I thought, I'm going to get after this and get this done. And what happened was I got a crowbar out and I was trying to pull off the old windshield wiper motor. And I didn't recognize that when I was uh, doing that, that what I was actually pushing the crowbar against was the windshield. Um, because the windshield actually extended below uh, the, the hood. And so I was pushing on the windshield. And so I actually not only didn't fix the problem that was wrong with my car, I also shattered the windshield in the process. And so over time, what I've learned is uh, that I can't fix cars. In, in fact, what I'm good at is I'm good at breaking cars. And what we're good at as human beings is we're good at breaking the world. We bring our sin to the table. And, and with good intentions, we often try to fix the problems that are around us. But what I've learned to do with my cars is to take them to people that are competent to fix them, that have the knowledge and have the skill to be able to do that. And in this situation, God is the one with the knowledge and the competence and the skill to fix the situation. And so he's asking us to humble ourselves, to admit that reality, and to say, we need you, God. We need you to show up. And one of the first expressions of that, according to this text, is that we would pray and seek his face. Now, I've been guilty of this, and I think we often can think about the church this way. And, may, and maybe you're even thinking about um, what I'm doing right now this way. But what I'm saying is there's not a sermon, there's not a church building, there's not a uh, connection group meeting well run. There's, there's not anything that we can do that will change the reality that is going on around us. And God calls us to do something that seems to many like it's actually doing nothing. And that is to pray and to seek his face. So we humble ourselves. We admit, I can't do this. But that doesn't mean that we do nothing. We pray and we seek his face. We seek God himself. And, and I think that what's true is that many of us often think that we're praying, but we're, what we're actually doing is sort of just hypocritically posturing ourselves before God. So we're praying what I like to call dear Jesus prayers. And so we're telling God what we think that he wants to hear. I, I was reading a book this week called Overcoming Sin and Temptation by an old Puritan named John Owen. And he was 
talking about these two um, different realities that constitute true prayer. And the first thing he said is honestly expressing how you feel about the circumstances in your life, or in this case, the circumstances in our city. And, and I think if we began to pray like that, that our words wouldn't be polished and that our words wouldn't be pretty. And I think that uh, there would be some anger and I think there would be some tears. And I think we would also be expressing to God that we don't understand why he allows things like this to happen. Why is the world this way? Why is the world this broken place that can so quickly get off the rails in such a significant way? Why has there been 400 years of oppression of black people in our country? Why is there so much rampant violence and wickedness? Why are people the way that they are? I think that our prayers would be less cleaned up, and I think that our prayers would be more honest, and we might even express some anger to God about what we're seeing. But the second thing, it's not just honesty that's going to come out. When we're honest, what it's going to lead us to see is that we are actually part of the problem. So we're going to begin to see our own sinfulness. I don't know about you, but, but one of the things that I've been convicted of this week is just my naivety and my apathy, spiritual apathy, a lack of understanding of the world, of the needs of people that don't look like me or don't live where I live, and a lack of empathy in my heart toward them. And, and I think as we begin to really pray and we, we begin to express anger about the situation and the brokenness in the world, that we'll begin to see in God's presence. He'll begin to convict us of our personal sin. And we'll begin to confess that. So there's this honesty and there's this confession that needs to happen in the presence of God. Otherwise, we're just posturing ourselves. We're just pretending to pray, but we're not actually talking to the God of the universe. Because if we actually believed that he could come in, and like this passage says, we believe that he could heal our land, we would be honest with him and tell him about the problem. And then we would realize that we're in the presence of a holy God, and we would see that we're unworthy to be there, and we would confess our sin. Because what if God is calling us to have this kind of honest, real relationship with him? You know, something I, I always have enjoyed is being around new believers. And one of the reasons for that is new, new believers don't know how to fake it yet in prayer. And so I remember in Iowa City, I was in a connection group with a brand new believer, a gal named Katie. And I remember going around the circle and doing the connection group prayer thing. And Katie was just stumbling around. And I remember one of the first things that came out of her, her mouth is like, God, I really don't know how to do this. And I, I'm, I'm kind of new at it. And so I'm just talking to you and I'm kind of scared and I kind of feel 
embarrassed, like I, I don't really know what I'm doing. And that's what was actually coming out of her mouth. And I, I remember reflecting on that and thinking, man, I think that she's the only one who's actually really praying in this group. I, I think the rest of us have gotten so good at, at just pretending because at, at bottom, we really don't think that we need God. And, and I think that in this situation, because we're feeling this gut punch, and we're feeling like something absolutely needs to be done, and none of us exactly know what that is, I think that God is calling us to actually pray. And that's what really what I want to call our church to do this week in our connection groups. As we meet together to kind of scrap the script of the sermon-based questions, and maybe it's going to be awkward because you're not used to kind of that silence. And maybe we're going to hear each other say some things that are honest and some some pre-reflective processing, like some anger or like, I don't know what to do. Maybe we're not going to sound so certain with each other. And maybe there's going to be some emotion. And even in the way that we pray, maybe there's going to be some disagreement that rises to the surface. But maybe in that, maybe in this in this humble authenticity as we sort of bow the knee and pray for like an hour, an hour and 15 minutes together in our connection groups, maybe that would be a time where God would hear us and that, that he would see, oh, these people don't just want to be in this pretending relationship with me. They want to be in a real relationship with me. They want to seek my face. And, and maybe the main aspect of our prayer doesn't become, hey, do this list of things that I'm asking you to do, God. But our prayer would actually become, we want you. We need you to walk into the city. We need you to walk into our lives. And and as we begin to ask for that, I think what would happen is that we would see the necessity, not just of confessing, not just being honest before God about the wickedness of our lives, and about our sin, but that we would actually feel this call, this weighty call to turn from our wicked ways, to turn away from our wicked ways. Here's what we're seeing in our city right now. We are seeing what sin looks like in its reality. Sin has taken its mask off. We have seen it with its knee on the neck of an innocent man who is murdered by a police officer. We have seen it as buildings are burned and rocks are thrown through business windows in the name of justice, but in a way that is actually promoting the opposite of justice and is displaying rampant wickedness. And what we're not supposed to do in that is we're not supposed to just sit back and be like, man, the world is a messed up place. I'm just glad I'm not like that. I'm glad that my hands are clean. But the way that we're supposed to respond to that is we're supposed to see that our sin, unchecked, leads us, our hearts, to the exact same place. And that that could be us. 
That could be us. And if you don't recognize that, quite frankly, you don't understand anything about yourself. You don't understand your own heart. If you're sitting back as a judge and not humbled as a sinner, you don't understand yourself. And what this text is really calling us to do, what God is calling us to do, is to turn from our wicked ways. What are the thoughts that you've had, the lustful thoughts, the proud thoughts, the thoughts of your own glory and your own fame? What thoughts have there been, patterns of thought in your own mind, envious thoughts, covetous thoughts, wanting what other people have? What thoughts have you been having that have been dishonoring to God? What feelings have you had that are dishonoring to God, that don't please God? In what way have you let your feelings be your guide? In what ways have you followed your heart instead of followed God's word? In what ways have your words dishonored God? Have you been talking about how this politician or that politician hasn't been handling this situation correctly? Because I don't remember where it says in the Bible, criticize those who are in authority, but I do remember where it says, pray for those who are in authority. Have you been quick to speak out against the injustices in the world without being cognizant that you are part of the problem and that in you haven't recognized that your words actually condemn you. My words condemn me. And, and what about our actions? You know, I think one of the main ways that I see the sinfulness in my own life is in inaction. It's in apathy and, and just a spiritual lukewarmness a lack of concern, a lack of seeing what needs to be done. Maybe it's more about the sins of omission, what we haven't done that God has clearly called us to do, to care for those who are oppressed, to care for the orphans and the widows, to, to keep ourselves unstained from the world. There's actions in our lives that, that have been dishonoring to God. And here's what God is calling us to do. Here's what he's calling us to do. To turn from our wicked ways. Not just to be honest. Yep, I'm a sinner. Be general about it. No. But to be specific about the ways that we have dishonored God. To actually call sin, sin in our lives. And here's the picture I want you to have in your mind of this. Imagine a soldier who gets scared of being in the battle. And so he is hightailing it away from the front lines. He's running for his own safety and security and protection. And his commanding officer yells at him from across the battlefield. And he's able to hear him somehow. And he says, turn around, get back into the fight. Now, if the soldier stands there and says, I admit it, I got scared, I did what was wrong, I ran away, and he's honest about it, it does no good 
unless he turns around and gets back into the fight. It's not that we're called to be perfect as Christians because perfection is an impossibility. We're called to be repentant as Christians, to turn around again and again and again and again and again and again. And this is a time where we see sort of wickedness running wild in our city to recognize that that same wickedness is in our own hearts and to turn back to God. And why would we do that? Why would we do that? Because God promises us that he'll hear us from heaven, will forgive our sin, and will heal our land. God promises us that if we will turn from our wicked ways, if we'll pray, if we'll humble ourselves, turn away from our solutions, turn away from believing that anyone else on this earth can fix the sin problem in this world and will turn to him, he says, I can do what no one else can do. What we need is God himself to honestly come before him and ask him to do the impossible, what no one else can do. What would this look like? What would it look like if God showed up in this city because we called out to him and he came and began to heal the brokenness? He began to use us. What would this look like? I was reading this uh, book called Revival and Revivalism and sketching out what happened when there was a revival in this country during the Second Great Awakening. And I want to read bits and pieces of that from you or for you so that you can see what it looks like when God shows up. So a few different quotes from the book. Poor sinners began to see that everything in the Bible was true, that they were wholly sinful and in the hand of a sovereign God. The first you would know of persons under awakening was that they would be at all the religious meetings and manifest a silent and eager attention. Here's another quote. The state of feeling which at this time pervaded the town was interesting beyond description. There was no commotion, but a stillness in our very streets, a serenity in the aspect of the pious, and a solemnity apparent in almost all, which forcibly impressed us with the conviction that in very deed, God was in this place. Another quote, common conversation was rarely engaged in, and every ear was open to hear the gospel. At another location, a deep solemnity spread over the whole community, and everywhere Meetings were crowded. And another quote, I seem to be awakened by a silence which pervaded the room. A deep, solemn attention which seems to spread over an assembly when all are completely engrossed in some absorbing theme. I looked around astonished and the feeling of profound attention te- seemed to settle on myself. 
Here's what happened. People cried out. God heard. And he came to their rescue. What if our hearts cried out for God? And what if he began to walk these streets in and through us? And what if our city began to see that God was here, that he was with us, and that people's lives began to be transformed because there was a humility about us. We were the first to admit that we were part of the problem and that they were able to see in our broken lives that God was what was making the difference. That's my prayer. God, come. Let's pray. Jesus, we desperately need you. And God, we, we want to see more that um, our hearts are desperately wicked and that we're not good people who are going to be able to fix this broken world, but we are broken and sinful people who have a great God. And so God, I ask that you would come Would you do this in our church? Would there be this deep, solemn stillness that comes and invades our homes and our apartments and our lives and pushes out the sin and the darkness and brings us to this place of of repentance and honesty and forsaking our, our sinful, apathetic ways And God, would we be able to make a difference, not because we're great, but because you're great, God. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.